0: Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability people have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jeehee Jolly. discussing chronic health challenges, another topic that's been requested quite often, be it physical or mental health. I called an old friend and fellow Buddhist, Jenny Orstrom, whom I've witnessed experience an incredibly strange and incredibly difficult battle with Lyme disease for nearly eight years. While she's much better now than she was at its height, the nature of her illness is its unpredictable and disorienting brain symptoms, which you'll hear her share about in great detail. While everyone's experiences with illness are different, for chronic illness, the battle is as much about managing the symptoms as it is about finding a way to value your life on a daily basis, especially when you feel no hope, which is where chanting nam myoho comes in. What I learned from Jenny's story is that tapping into bootability can simply mean tapping into real, deep, courageous happiness, which is not the same thing as just positivity. Through chanting, sustainable happiness, that is, happiness born of a spirit to never give up or give in to hopelessness, is achievable, even amidst the most painful experiences. I'll let Jenny share the rest.
1: Um, Hi, my name is Jenny Orstrom, and I currently live in Minneapolis. I grew up in Florida, and my father started practicing this Buddhism when I was three years old, and I received my own Gohonzon and started chanting a lot when I was 14. What made you interested in
0: starting to chant on your own, especially at the age of 14? That's pretty young.
1: Yes. Well, it was very easy and very related to that age. I had a crush on my best friend who was a girl and my father told me if I chanted, I could date her. (laughs) So it was like the easiest thing for a 14 year old. Um, So we didn't end up dating, but we had a very close friendship and I came out. Um, It it may sound, you know, maybe a little woohoo to people, but I Got this incredible sense when I looked at the Go-Hon Zone and I started saying Nam-myoho-renge-kyo on my own. It sort of was like this warm feeling that came over me. I I knew that I was happier when I was chanting. I just, I just could tell that I was happier. It was very much a kind of inconspicuous development that I would look back every year and see that I was happier each year. And honestly, one of the things, uh, the thing that had the most profound impact on me from my youth was being exposed to um this buddhist ideology buddhist ideals and and of course as you know a teenager who wanted to be cool and all these things i didn't really let that sink in but that message and so many messages from Daisaku Ikeda the third president of our of our Buddhist organization, I studied his writings really intently from a young age, actually. And he really extols us to, you know, challenge our lives, to face our hardships. And so I had quite a privileged life. I had everything that I wanted. Um, Even when I was 14, I was pretty aware of that. Um, And so I started chanting from that age for whatever great challenge was in my life that would make me this kind of great person this happy amazing person of course i had no idea how that would manifest in the future and i wasn't prepared for it when it did but yeah i think it was really a combination of um you know the incredible ideas of this buddhism that i was exposed to uh the happiness that i felt generally that really kept me going
0: yeah yeah that's beautiful um Yeah, hearing you say that, I mean, I can absolutely relate to that. But um, it also sounds kind of like ominous, because then that kind of great struggle arrived. (laughs) It did. It did. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, the topic of today's episode is illness. And I know that you've had an incredibly long battle with illness. So before we kind of get into the Buddhism part of it, um, can you just sort of tell tell me the story sort of? What happened? When did it happen? How did you find out?
1: Whatever your sure. Of course. How much time do you have, Jihy? Because this is a <laughs> lot. Okay, so if it's okay, I did write some notes uh, because of yeah. my memory loss. It's very difficult for me. So I'll kind of try and read a little bit. And then if you have questions, please just ask me anything as it goes on. So yes, one of the other things is we have this amazing Buddhist conference center called the Florida Nature and Culture Center, which is in Florida where I grew up. So it's only a few hours from where I was. So I, I went to these FNCC conferences from a young age. And one of them, which I do remember because it stayed with me for so long it was it was I think a youth performers conference and this girl some someone asked a question in in the plenary session, and a girl stood up and shared her experience and she was very like physically close to me and probably very close to my age, like thirteen or fourteen and She shared that one of her parents had just died, and she had come to this conference, and I remember as a child like it was unfathomable to me to, to lose one of my parents, especially because I'm so close to them, especially my mom and, and seeing this like other child basically stand up there and share that that had just happened. And she had still come to this conference and she was still fighting for her happiness and like smiling. It had such an indelible effect on my life. And honestly, a lot of my chanting for my great challenges because i wanted to be like those people and at that time i was already experiencing weird um, illnesses so uh i wasn't diagnosed with lyme disease until 2013 and i was 28 years old at that time but i've had it for a very very long time um we visited a lot of lyme endemic areas when i was a child a bunch of my cousins have it and my uncles have other tick-borne diseases and um From about the age of 12, I started getting sick. I would get the flu uh, for long periods of time. I had like ulcer pains, light sensitivity. Um, And I developed asthma, even though it didn't run in my family. And I would get bronchitis for months at a time to the point where I almost um, got kicked out of school because I missed so much school because of it. So that was when I was a teenager. Um, But the more serious symptoms all started in my 20s. I graduated from Sochi University of America in 2018 or 2008. And I immediately uh, went to graduate school at the University of Oxford in England. And at this time, I was I wrote in my diaries like repeatedly in a number of places that I, quote, didn't feel like myself, that there was something fundamentally off with me, uh, but I couldn't describe what it was. And I was around 23 years old at this time, and I started experiencing really severe psychiatric symptoms, um, depression and obsessive compulsive disorder, Um and then two years later, I was in New York and I got into my dream program in nonfiction creative writing, and it's one of the most competitive in the country. So that was you know, a huge benefit for me. I'd been chanting about that and working really hard, and I knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, and this program lasted two years, but during this time I started experiencing much more severe psychiatric symptoms. I also started getting sick again. My asthma was really bad to the point that I started having to use an inhaler. I got the flu and I started like really socially isolating myself. I also failed my thesis when I was submitted, they failed it the first time. And one of the readers said specifically that they they couldn't even understand how someone with such poor writing had gotten into such a competitive program, that it was at that level. And uh, my older sister, um, my older sibling helped me edit the thesis. And when they were editing it, they repeatedly kept pointing out that I wasn't using punctuation properly. But at that time, my brain damage had already become so severe that no matter how many times they would explain to me how to use a semicolon, semicolon, I just couldn't do it. And I couldn't understand. And I would just keep doing the wrong thing. And still at that time, you know, we I didn't even know what Lyme disease was. It wasn't a thing. We had never heard of it. None of my cousins had gotten it yet. So I was having these weird things happen and I didn't know what they were. Um, so I did manage to pass. I resubbed in my thesis in only a few months. Um, and I passed, but at that time I had also stopped reading and, you know, for a person, a writer in a reading and writing program, I had previously, I would read and write for eight, 10, 12 hours a day, often without really any breaks. That was the kind of mentality and and workaholic, um, nature and discipline I had. And so to graduate from this program and not be reading, I again, had the sense that something was wrong, but I had no idea what it was. And in 2013, I moved to California to be with my girlfriend at the time. And, um, she was the one who first noticed my amnesia and, um, it happened because she had talked about my mother's wedding. That was, you know, a big deal. We had gone there in England. She'd gotten married and it had been, um, a few years ago, but I said something about how it was just the summer before. And my girlfriend who was a very good memory, was like angry that she was like, what on earth are you talking about? We did not go to your mother's wedding last year and i said yeah we did and i was so certain and i said of course we did and then i remember she just stared at me with her mouth open for a second and she said she grilled me she said what did we do last summer and that was the first time that anyone had pointed anything out to me and, and i just sat there and i and my mind was completely blank and i said i have no idea and it was quite a terrifying time the next few months because i realized that i was losing my memory i would start asking myself things um long-term memory and short-term memory. And, and they sort of rapidly degenerated at that point, but I was aware of it. So at night I would be in agony. I would be sobbing. I would be trying to tell myself, don't forget this and don't forget that. And of course, you know, I forgot everything that I wanted to remember. I would say, please don't forget, you know, this most special moment with your dad or whatever. Sorry, Gigi. No, it's okay. Um, and it was, you know, this period of incredible agony for a few months. And of course, my girlfriend was there with me and I uh, was diagnosed with a low thyroid. So we thought that that was maybe the cause. But the endocrinologist who it was my great fortune to have him, he said, you know, you should really get tested for Lyme disease because you have so many cognitive symptoms. And he was like, someone at your age with your background, it is very unusual for you to be doing this." He basically, you know, pointed out this isn't normal. And so we got the test for Lyme disease. And by the time I got it, I um, had lost almost all of my memory completely. And I also had started losing speech. I lost my speech and it was uh, the most terrifying moment of my life. I, I was trying to chant, actually, and I started slurring and stuttering and the words just became like glue. And then I couldn't speak and I started sobbing hysterically because I was so terrified. And then I started just kind of moaning and rocking because at that time, not only did I physically lose the capability of speech, but my mind Um, I described it as this kind of thickness and swaddling. The mind just wasn't working. There was just nothing in my mind. It was just empty. And for someone who was an intellectual her whole life, that was the most terrifying thing that I had ever experienced. And of course, it was only the beginning. So my amazing brother was there at the time that I was diagnosed and I hid in the closet that day. Um, He told me that I wasn't allowed to drive anymore because I would drive in circles and I would miss lights and it was very dangerous, like, you know, someone with very severe Alzheimer's. And when he told me that I couldn't drive anymore, I hid in the closet like a little animal and I turned all the lights off and he came and found me in the closet. And that was when I first said aloud, I think there's something really wrong with me. And I knew deep in my life that there was, that like something irrevocably awful was happening and my brother just put his hand on my knee and said I'll take care of you we'll get through it together and it was you know he is the great fortune of my life because he has taken care of me for almost a decade he dropped everything in his life to take care of me so sorry this is so long but um no it's okay we, we moved to New York, and my symptoms really started progressing rapidly once I started antibiotic treatment for Lyme. Uh, so there's so many, so I'm just going to kind of read off a list, if that's okay. Uh, so the worst ones, the amnesia by far was the worst symptom. It was uh, total and complete by the time I was diagnosed. I had forgotten everything I'd ever read, studied, everyone I knew, including my family, Um, But for most of each day in this early period, I was actually in a completely vegetative state. So I would just sit on the couch and my family would prepare meals for me and they would talk to me and I wouldn't really be able to respond. I was either mostly mute or I would sort of make moaning noises um, or sort of get out a few words or a sentence. And I could only play very easy children's games. My brother learned the hard way that, you know, I couldn't play video games that were made for kids over the age of five. Um, So that was kind of my life. And this went on for years, this state. And then in 2015 and 2016, after tons of years of treatment, I started to have uh, to regain my speech and lucidity for portions of each day. So I know Gigi, you and I, I think, met up a few times during this period. Yeah. And- Many people said that they didn't even know something was wrong because they'd see me for an hour or two and I'd be speaking, probably not as quickly as I am now, uh, but I'd be able to kind of talk and carry on normal conversation. But what they had no idea is that I was expending so much brain energy at that time that I would go home and I would just be in a fetal mute position for most of the day after any of those encounters. Um, so also at this time, right when I started to do better, uh, much more dangerous and very neurological symptoms came in, in addition to all of the ones that I was experiencing. So I started having violent seizures called dystonic reactions, which are like mini strokes, and they leave you completely disoriented, uh, suicidal, physically exhausted. So it was, like, you know, quite a... Uh, a grouping of these, these symptoms, but every day was really this kind of endless hell. And I was trapped in this strange and horrible existence. And I really didn't have any idea what was going on most of the time. And I was separated from everyone and everything that I had ever loved. Thank you for sharing
0: all of that. And also for preparing it. Cause I know it's a lot of, a lot, <laughs> It's a lot of detail. It's a yeah, lot. Sorry. Um. You no, know, I, I just want, I mean, I, yeah, I have some follow-up questions, but I'm just curious, like, what was the the treatment part like? Like when you got the diagnosis and I mean, I'm just thinking from the perspective of people listening who have had Lyme or know someone who's had Lyme mm-hmm. that were able to recover from it pretty quickly. So yeah. just to understand a little bit better um, why it was so bad and, and mm-hmm. kind of what navigating treatment looked like for you. So um, my
1: Lyme uh, was so severe because I'd had it for so many years. So Lyme is caused by bacteria that come from ticks. And it often brings multiple infections. So I had every infection that came with it. Um, And, you know, the thing about the bacteria is once you get it, it will slowly proliferate in your system. And so if if you catch it right away and you kill the bacteria, it's fine. And you're often fine. But, you know, in my case, I probably had it almost 20 years before I was diagnosed. And that's such a long time. And that's why, you know, the symptoms progress slowly many of them over over the course of that time so when you've had Lyme for a prolonged period of time the bacteria particularly like your brain and your central nervous system uh so yeah they kind of infest that so we did every kind of treatment we did a lot of antibiotic treatment Um, we have also done tons of natural treatments and, uh, something that has really helped me was a complete dietary change. Um, and then a huge victory last year is actually that I was able to get full approval for a new incredible treatment. It's not that new, but it's for people with very serious neurological diseases called, um, IVIG. So I get that once a month and the treatment you know, is so expensive. It's about $20,000 per treatment, at least. And a huge benefit is that because I exhibit all of the necessary criteria in my pet brain scan, and because of the type of uh, nerve damage that I have in my central nervous system, I was able to get full approval for that, actually. So I do that once a month now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's helped tremendously. And you know, my symptoms I still have many symptoms. But every single one is so much better than it was, you know, even a few months ago. So I feel tremendous uh, joy to be able to say
0: that wow that's incredible um so maybe maybe we can just back up a little bit um mm-hmm. to where chanting comes in so mm-hmm. I, i'm curious i mean through this process um how did chanting namyoho Gekyo help you you know begin to navigate the situation continue through the situation and kind of what did your um the kind of healing look like because hearing you talk now I know that you're still dealing with it but it sounds so different than what you described sure um hopefully I'll share correctly because like I said you know my memory of the past 10 years especially
1: is still so foggy but in terms of how chanting helped me chanting was everything at that time I mean it was the only thing that helped um I everything in my life was gone I lost everything um and so I was so lost at that time, and the thing about this illness is that it challenged my sense of worth to such a profound degree that everything I had valued about myself previously—you know, my intellect, especially in my art—but um, also everything that that humans value about ourselves that we take for granted—you know, our speech, being able to communicate, being able to read and write, and you know, do basic arithmetic, being able to use our hands and to walk—all of those things were lost to me. Um, so the, the hardest and most difficult question at first was this question of value. And I would, you know, my brother remembers that many days, because I really had no reprieve from my symptoms, not even a single day have has gone in the past eight years that I've had a symptom-free day. So he remembers, you know, so many times I would be sobbing, just chanting, and I was chanting to feel value when I had no value. And the most wonderful thing, and, and it wasn't just that I had no value, it was that I I had proof that I had no value, that I meant nothing. I could do nothing. I could do could not do anything, not even the most basic things, and especially not the things I loved most. So I had all of this, quote, you know, proof that I was a valueless creature who basically wasn't even living. So because I was so stripped down to that level, it was an opportunity to really understand and embrace the core concept of this Buddhism, which is that we each actually have infinite value. And so I... I knew that that would help me. So I would chant that way. Um, And, you know, it wasn't as if uh, my symptoms went away. They still haven't fully gone away or anything. But I know I described this period as an unending hell, but I was actually able to experience... Real, true joy during this period. This was how I was able to understand what happiness was. And it was because the depth of my suffering was so great and the obstacles were so impossible that I had no choice. It was either I live like this and either kill myself or just die from this, or I just become happy. I mean, it was very clear to me that those were the two options. So over the years, um, I started getting stronger and stronger to the point that, you know, I had uh, last night, I was just paralyzed for a bit. I fell over when I was chanting. And, you know, my brother had to carry me to the couch and I lost speech. And I started, you know, sort of uh, making those noises that I make and sort of screaming in an enraged sort of slurring way that happens when my brain is having an attack. But I still was able to, you know, talk to people later in the night and I was smiling and it wasn't forced. It was, you know, my genuine life condition. And that's the benefit of this incredible training of um, so many years. So when I was in New York and my symptoms were really at their height, Uh, it was the the Buddhist community that really brought me back to life. Um, There were these amazing members in Brooklyn, SGI members in Brooklyn. And I would go to the meetings there and they would always tell me how amazing I was at every meeting I went to. And let me tell you, I would go to the meeting and they'd give me the biggest chair in the house and I'd sit in the chair and I'd sleep. And then occasionally I would yell out one or two sentences sort of related to what was going on, like interrupt the meeting and yell out the sentences. And then I would go back into my vegetative state. So you had these amazing people who would see me like that. And they would tell me how wonderful I was. And it was these same people too, who encouraged me to share my experience with my illness. And that was a really big turning point for me because I said, how can you ask me to share how sick and broken and and like evil and awful I am? How could that ever encourage anyone? And I truly felt that many times. And they said, that is exactly why it will encourage people because your obstacles are so great. And if you get up there with a smile and it's genuine, how encouraging that will be for people. So at that time, I started thinking about other people for the first time. And that was really, you know, a key turning
0: point. If I'm understanding correctly, it's like these sort of episodes can can happen at any time and they mm-hmm. still happen at any time. But was there a time that you went from like almost all the time unable to do anything to being able to start functioning again and what did that look like
1: well it did it did progress but you know the reality is that um there was no medical turning point and that was part of the challenge and also part of the opportunity of this illness is that no matter what we did nothing was working Um, and so I had no choice, but to really approach it from a different vantage point. And that was the vantage point of faith, actually. So Mm -hmm. I really had no choice, but to, you know, chant and to try and believe with all my might that in doing this, I would somehow be able to get either a, a miracle treatment or the best doctor, something that would help me. And the IVIG is a bit of a miracle treatment. It's, it has helped tremendously, Um, but you know, as I said, I'm still experiencing symptoms. I know I will fully heal and it will take some time, but there was no medical breakthrough. There was no, you know, one antibiotic that did it. Um, it was a combination of a lot of things, but I really truly believe, I know in fact that it was actually my internal breakthrough that made all the difference and that really transformed my life. So that's why now I have so much confidence, you know, in chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo and the power of chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo because I've seen with my entire life
0: that that was the thing that changed my circumstances I'm just like so moved at how bright you are uh, telling this story and and um yeah like uh how do I even say what were the doctors saying so during that time period Mm -hmm. this is what you were experiencing and Mm -hmm. the symptoms were so bad you know were they giving you hope did they tell you this is what to expect or so that we know kind of then like what you had to chant? for and chant to do in order to really take care of yourself?
1: Um, yeah. So the reality is that because late stage Lyme is so severe, um, there is no single treatment for it. Antibiotic treatment is the main one. Um, and, you know, there are natural paths who advocate their own treatments, but there's really no, quote, cure. So that was another huge obstacle, but also opportunity for me to really challenge this from a faith-based level. And because my condition was so severe, to be honest, my doctors were not very optimistic. I had age on my side, but yeah, there really is no single cure uh, for Lyme disease. So... um That's why it's a lot like happiness. It's really this just kind of daily thing that I consistently chant about and I have to have absolute confidence that I will recover. And I have been, so, you know, I, I will, but I hope that kind of answers it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm so curious, you know, for, a um, for an illness that is sort of so chronic, um, how you define recovery. What does recovery mean to you? What is it that you personally are striving for when it comes to your health?
1: Oh, everything. I'm striving to be healthier than I was before. Um, I want my IQ to be higher because I had to relearn grammar and all these things. So, you know, uh, yeah, it's one thing that Buddhism has taught me and especially Daisaku Ikeda, who I consider my personal uh, mentor in faith and kind of in life. Um, what he taught me is that, you know, we don't practice Buddhism just to be okay with our lives or just to settle. That is absolutely not why we, pra- you know, I don't practice Buddhism to have all these seizures and amnesia and never recover and tell people they can be happy. I mean, that's part of the journey, of course, is, and I really was able to learn that to be happy in the midst of hell. I was able to really learn that, and that's an incredible uh, feeling to experience. But that's not the, that's not the end. You know, the end is that um, I'm completely healed. Uh, and I'm happy to to say that I am on that path of complete health. Um, but yeah, so it's getting everything back, um, being able to, you know, speak multiple languages again, like I did being able to play piano again, um, not having any learning disabilities. So, you know, it's really getting everything back. But, but one thing, you know, I want to say about the struggle, and this is such an important um, thing that I learned. When you have a prolonged illness like this, especially if it's something where you're experiencing very severe symptoms every day, you know, the easiest thing is to give into despair. It's so easy. It's mm-hmm. the most natural and most human thing in the world. But in Buddhism, we're changing reality. That's what that's what we really believe is that if you transform your inner state of life, that you can actually affect a change in reality. So even even though I was in the midst of hell, I fought every day. And it's something that now I'm incredibly proud of. I learned so much about how to fight. And by fight, I mean, you know, I learned how to go to a Buddhist meeting and I would start seizuring in the meeting and guests would stare at me because I'd be kind of drooling and I would look so vulnerable and pathetic, but I would be able to smile at them and be okay with that. And that is, in the moment, it felt awful, actually, often. And I I would resent. I remember this one guest, I resented her. I told my brother, I said, she was staring at me the whole time. That lady was staring at me. And we became good friends, you know, after that. And she told me how much she had been incredibly encouraged to see me like that at the meeting. So my whole perspective on it started changing. Again, when I started thinking of it, um, in terms of how could I encourage other people
0: with my whole life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's so encouraging to hear. You know, Buddhism is so much about daily life Mm -hmm. and um you know we don't experience suffering or joy in the abstract in the long term we experience it on a daily basis (laughs) every Mm -hmm. morning (laughs) afternoon and evening whatever we might be experiencing you know so um i'm curious um was there sort of a a turning point in terms of how you were approaching your day-to-day knowing that the symptoms were just always kind of going to be there and you you didn't really have control over them what did your day-to-day look like in terms of um your attitude and chanting, and then also, like, what concrete, like, practical action you had to take in order to start regaining, you know, whether it was memory or language or things Mm -hmm. that you forgot, just so we can you know, understand that journey a little bit. So, you
1: know, the hallmark of my condition is that I actually don't have brain damage. I have damage in my nervous system, specifically to my peripheral nervous system, but I don't have brain damage. And so a good way to explain it is, um, you know, if you take a building and all of the plumbing pipes are in order in the building, right? So everything physically is in working order, but someone cuts off the water. That's, that's what my brain is like. So that's what the PET scan showed. It showed extremely profound inactivity like all the lights were just dim. So basically my body doesn't send nutrients and oxygen to my brain properly. But because of that, because there's no structural damage, that explains why every day I, and still, you know, I'm chanting not to, but every day I go through so many different states of mind and I would enter into this sort of vegetative state that I called slowness. And sometimes I would have these bursts of lucidity where I would actually be able to read for a little bit during the day or have a conversation. Um, But yeah, so... That being the hallmark of my condition, it's, it's mutability from minute to minute, from hour to hour was one of the most difficult things because I would regain something I loved so much. And it was, it was very sort of poetic hell, you know, I would regain reading and I would say, Oh, I'm alive. I would scream it sometimes. Oh, I'm alive. I'm coming alive. And then, and then I would slowly stop talking and sort of everything would kind of shut down as if I were becoming frozen. And so this aspect of the condition was extremely hellish, um, to have no control over these things, uh, was very difficult, but this was the thing that really helped me, um, to become the person I am today because, you know, I had to fight every single day. I had to fight every moment against this despair that came up, but, um, Yeah. So it's very much like happiness. It really taught me the nature of happiness. You know, the type of happiness that we have in this Buddhism is what we call absolute happiness. And it's the most difficult and strenuous type of happiness because it's a verb. It's not like my happiness is is a day when I don't have symptoms. The the first day I was paralyzed completely, which was one of the most terrifying days of my life, I chanted an hour or more completely in my mind. My brother sat me up and I couldn't speak at all. And I just sort of stared, you know, I stared really hard at the Gohonzon and I chanted in my mind, but that day became this incredible um, sort of lighthouse for me. So when other symptoms came, I would keep reminding myself, you know, you chanted when you were paralyzed and you managed to smile at the end of that day, you can do anything. And that's really, you know, what this Buddhism is for. And I think what happiness is like, like you said, we go through so many states in a day. I had the fortune, you know, I've had the fortune that my symptoms are so extreme. So it's almost as if the, you know, human states of life, I've gone through so many every day for the past eight years. Uh, so I can really clearly see when a negative function is coming up in my life because I'll have a violent seizure or I'll lose my speech or I'll suddenly trip and fall over and I won't be able to get up. Um, so, you know, and happiness is very much like that. That is something that we just have to keep cultivating. But through this experience, I can say for myself personally, I've experienced the depth and and, and joy of happiness. I mean, I never thought it was possible to be as happy as I am now, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and I could never have imagined that I would become this happy in the midst of this struggle.
0: You know? But yep. that's Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, um, You know, what strikes me about what you're saying is, especially when it comes to um, really serious illness, I would imagine that what you're striving for above all is to not have the illness anymore. But it really strikes me that you're actually striving for happiness, whether or not you have the illness, which is, you know, it's very unique. Well, the purpose of our lives is to be happy, (laughs) you know. And uh, in
1: this, in this Buddhism, what's so amazing is it's a very realistic Buddhism, actually, you know, the idea, like I, I think I said this before, but the idea isn't that happiness is this sort of fixed state of life in which you don't have problems. And I think so many people in um, our society and in our world have that idea, right? They think of happiness as the absence of problems. And I hate to tell you, but human life is full of problems. And, you know, I'm maybe explaining What to many people seems like an unimaginable illness, but many people, most people have suffered unimaginably in their lives, you know, people lose their spouses, they lose children. You know, when I talk about this happiness, um, it's again, it's that life state that you feel that kind of radiating joy, Um, but it's something you have to cultivate every day, you know, so every morning I sit in front of the Gohonzon and I face my own negativity, um, depending on,
0: you know, how I'm feeling that morning or what I'm doing. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for for sharing. Um, I I guess my just final question is, uh, is there any um, sort of like piece of advice that you would give to somebody who might be feeling defeated right now by chronic or long term illness?
1: Yes, a lot. Um, the first is, you know, please read as many experiences as you can by Buddhist members because they will really buoy your hope and your happiness. And that's the most important thing. Um, gosh, never give up. That is, you know, the biggest thing. Um and can I read um just two quotes that really yeah, encourage absolutely. me? Um, so one of them is by um, Daisaku Ikeda. Again, I know I quote him a lot, but he's really helped me change my life. And he says, when the shadows of death, destiny, persecution, adversity, illness, failure or destruction loom near, people tend to succumb to fear, trepidation, cowardice, anguish, anxiety, doubt and anger. It is the power of inner generated hope that dispels such darkness. And I love this so much because, you know, many things are included in here that I related to, you know, destruction was something that I really... Uh, related to during my illness, but he also has in here destiny. The word destiny, when the shadows of destiny, and that's so powerful because that's really what this is about. Each of us has an incredible destiny. Everybody has a life and a mission that that only is yours to live. Right, no one can live it for you. So please, anyone dealing with illness, have so much confidence in that that you can transform it. And when you do, you'll be able to encourage millions of people with your story. You'll you'll be so happy and be able to tell them with complete confidence they can change anything. So that brings me to my last quote, which is from Muhammad Ali and it's one of the most amazing quotes ever. And he says, impossible is not a fact. It's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration. It's a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. Wow. So to anybody who is struggling especially whether it's you know small illness or big illness please never give up on your life and you know your incredible and infinite potential to be happy and even if it sounds impossible now in your circumstances you have the potential to be the happiest person in the world and i I truly believe that from my own experience
0: i hope you found that encouraging and no matter what your situation might be health-related or otherwise, know that your ability is deeper. To learn more about chanting, check out the site as always, or email us at connect at sgi-usa.org to find your local Buddhist group. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.